The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples. So there's no weird stuff floating around your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on steeped coffee packs at steepedcoffee.com. That's S-T-E-E-P-E-D coffee.com. Asking your local retail stores to start carrying steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch. If you're in Santa Cruz, come on by any of the Cat and Cloud locations. We have it there for you. Basically, they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry, make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned, pre-ground innovation. So tell all your friends. Uh-huh. All I'm saying is a love song. You got me open all night. All I'm saying is love song. She got me open all night. All I'm saying is love song. She got me open all night. Uh-huh. All I'm saying is love song. Okay, back when I was sleeping in my other. Welcome. Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast on the road. J. Cole Acapella brought to you by Jared Truby. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. You can download it nowhere. You can only listen to it here on you the can, Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. You can follow me, Jared <laughs> underscore Truby, on Instagram. And uh, if you haven't heard of him, real Chris Baca. Don't as spell well. it wrong, y'all. Don't spell it wrong. Don't forget the underscore. Yeah, no, you can. And you've seen my face before. Yeah. And if you haven't, Follow Chris's videos. You'll dude. know you're you'll in, see me somewhere. You'll in know there, you're dude. in the right Come place on. when you see the icon. Uh, so today we woke up to congratulations for real George Baca. That's not his tagline, but that's the truth. In the Wall Street Journal, along with some other great coffee minds. Yeah, there's a. I don't. Someone sent me a message on Instagram. Says congrats on the Wall Street Journal thing, and I said I have no idea what you're talking about. And there's a whole coffee section, section D. I don't even know what section. It, maybe that's the lifestyle I mean, section. ABC and then D. ABC and D. And they have just some comments on the new and different wave of coffee culture, i.e. Starbucks isn't at the pinnacle of coffee culture anymore. There's a whole different breed of people who are doing all this crazy stuff. And they have some homebrewing stuff and some latte art stuff and some places to get coffee. And then they had a section on three YouTube channels, one of which was mine, which is fucking rad. The other one was James Hoffman, a.k.a. Jim Seven. Check that out. And the third was the Seattle Coffee Gear, which they're probably like the OG coffee YouTube channel. And it's like strict coffee. Right. Like coffee brewer reviews where, I don't know, I do the coffee, but love obviously the teaching, the leadership, the business stuff too. And James has some higher level insights on stuff that's more than just coffee. He's doing some reviews too, but right. he, he goes, if, if you want to talk about big business stuff, James has all the insights on when all the big acquisitions and mergers happen, he, he breaks that stuff down. So here's what's cool to me in that regard. Most of you listening to this podcast already know that Starbucks is not the pinnacle. However, Wall Street Journal officially saying that there is a different level of coffee is essentially it's establishing across the nation that there's something else happening. So, yeah, a lot of us, we already knew this was happening. But now the world is starting to advertise that there's something more bigger. And that's a that's a really big deal. We've seen little things like that. Arabica at McDonald's. We've seen the jokes about baristas that they tried to make in their, in their whatever, that commercial, right? But now this is different. This is like, sure, they're coffee nerds, but check all of this information out because there's a lot of stuff that the world didn't... Essentially, that article, right, has a lot of things like there's myths that are be, being debunked yep. and the people to listen to and where the information is out there. They're basically pointing all of America or anybody who reads the Wall Street Journal, probably online as well, how to find really, really quality coffee and to begin educating themselves on what we're doing. Yep. That's a big deal. I think it's a big deal. I. Every time I start to take the industry for granted and, and think, okay, everybody knows what we're all about. Third wave cafes are becoming more prevalent. Specialty coffee's growing. The journal running this article tells me that it's not as big as we think it is in our minds. It's mm. not as advanced and it's not as like permeated into the culture of the U.S. as, as we think. Right. And, and we do 
we do kind of know that under the surface in the context that we always compare ourselves, especially coffee meaning ourselves, to wine, to food, to beer, to these age-old crafts that have been around for thousands and thousands of years while coffee's, you know, whatever, 100 years old or two, whatever, a couple hundred years old, we'll say, generously. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's neat to feel like we're at yet another little tipping point towards quality and a nod to quality a nod to preparation and nod to craft and i think that's pretty cool everybody so if you're in specialty coffee and you've been working hard to do something to make the world around you better to educate people in a way where it's approachable give yourself a little pat on the back that's one giant leap for coffee kind you guys <laughs> and then the challenge is to get one step ahead of that and realize that because this culture is becoming so much larger at some point, it's not going to be enough for you and your organization to just make really good coffee anymore. Every amazing business has an amazing message or an amazing mission or a way that they see the world could be different. How can they improve the world? And I think thinking about those things is the next jump up because you're not going to capture hearts and minds and therefore probably a huge market share just by making latte art and roasting nice coffee. No. And I mean... Starbucks didn't even do that. It just happened to be an innovative product, i.e. espresso culture. But they had a lot more to it at the time than just coffee and espresso culture. They did have a lot going for them because espresso culture wasn't established yet. They got to be the first to really make that thing happen. But you're right, Chris. Like We're on to this next level of business in general where there needs to be a meaning behind what you do. It can't be specifically about quality, especially in a product or with a product that is more lower price point. You need, you need to sell more to make more in this, in this case. And so you can't set it aside and turn it into a slow bar situation to really be a sustainable business. You can't turn it into a Michelin star experience where you charge $25 for a cup of coffee, at least in the States. I know they do a little bit of some of this stuff in Japan and some of these areas and, you know, power to them and props to them. That's a cultural difference, though. That's not going to work in the States. So you, you're totally right. There needs to be some some real glue, some foundation, something powerful that sparks sparks a love for what you do. And I feel proud that we've been able to kind of take those ideas that we have, not just about coffee, but about business and the way that we think businesses can be run better and changing the way people think about business and we're starting to get some feedback from that. Yeah. And people are starting to reach out to us and ask us some questions about what are the things that you do in your business? I know you do the profit sharing. I know you do the, did we talk about the equity on the podcast? No. So this is a perfect time to share with the world what we just did. <laughs> Dude. Why don't you go ahead and tell them, Chris? Man. Because I'm very proud. Get it. So most of you all know myself, Jared, and Charles from the podcast. And there's a few names that get thrown around and people you've also heard on the podcast, just not as much. We've got Grace Lee, who's roasting all of our coffee. Team leader, Team leader of, the of the roastery. We've got Alex Mars manning up the uh, wholesale partner program situation. Kristen Hudson, who is our, what is, director of education? Yeah, she's uh, head of skills development. Head of skills so development. So she's building out all, anything, yeah. She's building out tons of educational content and, uh, and tra training design. She's doing a lot of intentional and training design around our delivery of anything educational. I'm just going to shout out that I don't even know these people's titles because, honestly, these people do so much for us yeah. that it's almost hard to pin them down in their official thing. Right. And then Tanner, Tan Tan Lego Man, mm -hmm. Tanner Rourke, head of cultural development, mm -hmm. which includes HR plus a myriad of other things. Those four people are now officially owners in Cat and Cloud, they have equity in the company. We rolled out our equity program, which is basically we have 15% of our company set aside for equity members other than ourselves. Right. So Chris Charles and I all agreed to set aside 5% to don't not donate for the team to earn as we grow. And we are officially handing out what will become 4% of that starting whatever this week. <laughs> Which is awesome, it, it, and it starts vesting over the next few years, and that's something that we're extremely, extremely proud of. We're extremely proud of our team. There's actually more people in the in the running who are working towards earning their portion of the equity as well, and it's it's something that we 
have talked about kind of in lightly in passing through the years. And it, it's, I wonder how many people assumed it would happen, but didn't know that we actually were working as hard to get it going within our, you know, like we're in our two years right now. We're not, we're not over two years old and we've officially given some out. I'm very proud of that. The team is working to build something special with us and it's been great to have that happen. So anyways, it's an honor for us to do it. I know that they are very proud of it as well. And it feels very good to know that these people support us and want to do what we're about. I'm super proud. I'm so proud of them. And they've been doing the things to earn equity before they ever knew anything about equity was on the table or right. how it was going to work. And that was one of the keys to where all of those four people, Alex, Grace, Kristen, Tanner, continually do things to drive the organization forward, put others before themselves without having to be asked, told, or directed explicitly. They all go above and beyond in their own ways. Mm -hmm. They're selfless. They pay attention. They see things that need to happen, and they take care of them. And then they help others to grow as well. And they're taking a lot of time to focus on coaching, other people in our team. They're taking a lot of time to connect with the people who they work with outside of our company to ensure that we can support them to grow all on their same, on their own time. You can go back and listen to Alex talk about how he decided to get grocery for us on one or two episodes back. There's, there are a number of examples of why these people have earned what they've earned. And it's just something that, yeah, we can publicly say now we have offered up equity along with our other benefits program and we're very happy to have done it. It's not an easy thing to do. It doesn't come without sacrifice, but it's the thing that we believe in and we've put our money where our mouth is and followed through. And I'm, I'm happy to be a business that does that and works towards doing that no matter what. They're all champions of their department and it's the, the pay, the payday goes two ways. So let's take something like the equity in, in what it's worth now which the equity pool is set at a certain size, i.e. 15% mm -hmm. is set aside. But that number, whatever that's worth, obviously continues to grow for the life of the business. But then in earning that equity, doing all the things that we just talked about, being the champions of their own department, it allows us to continue, continually take our time, take our energy, invest some of it in them and our people, which we'll always continue to do, but then take some of that and make sure that we're investing it in moving the business forward. Yes. And what that allows the equity pool to do is like, as the valuation of the company goes up and up and up, because we're able to spend time working on the business and not just working in the business, we're increasing that value of that percentage for all those people. And that feels really good too. Right. And, and that's something that we want to continue to do. It's something we're passionate about. Like if you are at the top of your business, your job is to provide opportunity for growth and development in a number of ways. And oftentimes, I guess we've talked about in the past, like that feeling of being an absentee owner and being afraid of that. I've actually gotten past that. And I think you have too, Chris. It's not, we're actually really confident that we're not absentee owners in that we're always available for coaching, development, feedback, both ways, right? We're available. So it's, it's become more and more clear that our job is to expand the scope of our business in whatever means necessary and whatever means is aligned with us to allow for even the people who are at the top of their quote unquote departments now to be able to step somewhere, whether, and we don't, I don't want to say up because something that is important to me and to our business is knowing that quote unquote, the next position up is not necessarily the best promotion. What we want to do is find the places for these people that gives them their great work, their flow state, their places to be where they can have the most impact. And so we're, our job in a number of different ways is first of all, to find those places for ourselves. Second of all, but nearly equally as important to both Chris and Charles and myself is to do that for the other people. And there's this whole really big wide world out there of opportunity and that is out there for our innovative brains to take hold of. And we're diving in right now. I'm really excited about it. So I don't even know what I was going to say there, but that's essentially like a, yeah, it's a little thing we're doing. Well, you talked about the idea of being an absentee owner, owner that doesn't show up anymore. Sure. And there's, there's a few different kinds of owners who don't show up anymore. There's the owner who started the coffee shop, used to work bar every day and 
isn't in there anymore, but is still doing things to add value for the business and is still available for their employees. Sure. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's also the other kind of owner who's not in the shop anymore, which is the owner who, in the same way, opened up the coffee shop, used to work bar, now doesn't come in and just sits at home playing video games or does something else completely right. altogether and is not invested in the company in any way. They're not available. They're not they're not helping mentor and they're not finding new ways to grow the business. And those are two totally different things because people come up and talk to me and they're like, I don't see you working behind the counter anymore. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, I see you in the shop sitting here doing this or over here and like, what's up? And I'm, I'm happy to tell them that I'm working on other aspects of the business. And that gives me like really great energy. Yeah, it's, it's important. And I guess there's one more slight third part you said too, but there's also the third, which is, the owner who moves up and out and provides opportunity, but just keeps on bringing in other people to take that opportunity and grow the business. And that's not an absentee owner per se. That's not even necessarily a bad owner, but it's the kind of owner that we are trying not to be. We're trying to actually move up and out in order to provide opportunity for people who are already in our business to come up and not even out, that's not the right word, but up and into a different place as well. And so that actually is the kind of owner I'm very proud and excited to be. It's like, how far can we spread this reach of Cat and Cloud so that we can theoretically lean into some opportunities that a lot of other companies, which, by the way, we don't consider ourselves a coffee company. We no. consider ourselves a people development and culture company, uh, if not, and more. And so it's like, our job really truly is to get ourselves out there and recognized in such a way where we can be impactful and then allow our team to help us be impactful. And that can, that's really brought on purpose because there's a lot of ways we want to do it. Yeah, I'm coffee, not sharing with you all of it. Coffee is this really amazing how that we're both super passionate about and have so much tied to the barista community and general coffee community. But th that's, that's the great thing about having an awesome why or about having an awesome mission or purpose is that there's, there's different ways that you can infect people with your passion Mm -hmm. And your product isn't necessarily the one end goal of your company. No. I.e., if we've talked about this before, but if, if our main goal was to source and roast the best coffee on planet Earth, that's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that goal, but we have a, a different method of operation to do what we need to do to get there. Mm -hmm. But you know, one of our goals is to like change the way the world does business and the world sees business and all those things that you just mentioned, growing people from within, expanding the business. So we have different boxes that we need to check off to get there. Yeah. And there's something interesting that we've been talking about. We've had this really fun trip. We got to get down to LA. We saw the, the release, shout out to Ken Baki and La Marzocco. They were releasing the KB90 in LA. We did some fun podcasts, which you'll hear about later, but there's something really neat that I think the world has, at least the coffee world has slept on more than it should. And it's that coffee is truly a connector of all people. And we often, I think, as coffee individuals, consider ourselves less than in some way. So what we end up trying to do is strive to be the best in our little ass niche of coffee, which, yeah, sure, we just talked about our coffee niche is getting bigger. Great. But if you just want to strive to be the best in that niche, you actually limit your reach considerably. And these ideas that Chris and myself, and I think a lot of other people have, but have maybe been a little bit timid to pursue loudly, and Charles too. I'm sitting with Chris, so I say it to him. Um, we, we're starting to notice that people from other industries and other walks of life are equally as positively infected, affected <laughs> by these ideals, this energy, these things, as those in coffee. And that's a very important thing to remember. That's a, that's a pretty awesome revelation that I've had. In the same way that we look up to people, they also can look up to us for providing something that they love and they drink every single day. So anyways, don't sleep on that. It's been a really encouraging thing for me to recognize. And it's something that I think we're starting to step into a little more. And, and that I think is going to lead to a lot of creative outlets that we don't know where they're going yet, but we know that's good. Yeah, I want to share as much of what we're doing as possible because a lot of the things that we do, I think they ring true for us for different reasons. And one of the reasons they ring true for me is, is I, rem I remember what it feels like to be 19, to be 20 years old, come to work and have no one 
really give a shit about you. And right. it felt like you were just employee X. And coffee has a special place in my heart, but there's so many other jobs that people in this age group, people who are just entering into the workforce, take on. And I wish all of those people would be treated a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And that's not directly tied to what you were talking about. You know, you're talking about coffee as a huge equalizer, and, and I think that's true. But if you're listening to this, and we hope you're listening to this, we hope there's a certain amount of people who are listening to this and are not explicitly here just for the coffee content. Right. To be completely honest and forthcoming with you, share this stuff with people you know, please. Yeah. It's the mission. Yeah, it really, <laughs> it really is. And, and you can be a part of it as much as we are talking about it. That is without a doubt true. So right on, man. <laughs> not, I, I'm not sweating it either. I'm not sweating it either. I, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. Shift it, dude. I just did. I went from fourth to fifth just in my, my Jetta. The last couple weeks have been really kind of, the energy's been really good around some of the things that we're doing. Right. And we've gotten to punch out of our box a little bit and have been connected to some really amazing people, some of whom you'll hear on the podcast soon and share really amazing stories with them. And there's people that we look up to that are that are so inspiring to us. And to be able to hang out with them face to face and share stories and share discussion is, is huge. And we're super flattered when people want to reach out and share in what we're doing. But I think there's something that's important to acknowledge that if you're reaching out to someone for help, there are some very specific ways that will help you be effective mm-hmm. in reaching out for help. Yeah, I, I totally hear you. I think you should totally, you should go deep into this because there are, it's easy to not realize the effect of, of an ask or a question or, or just reaching out. So like, yeah, we are here, Chris and I, sharing things that we love. Charles gets on, shares things that he loves, things we're passionate about, things we care about, and we love to share. But we also feel a responsibility to do an amazing job with the people who are in front of us, who we are working with to provide this future with. We also have families. We have a lot of responsibilities. And there is, Chris and I have been talking a lot about that feeling of being, yeah, I guess we've talked about it in past podcasts, but when you're at the top of your, your quote unquote work food chain, you end up thinking and putting a lot of energy out. A lot of your time is mentally straining because you're doing a, some form of strategy and you're trying to connect dots and you're moving puzzle pieces, you're putting them together, you're literally thinking about every single individual on your team and how to develop them and how to connect them with the right person to develop them and it's a lot of mental out. And so at times, Chris and I and Charles and any leader really has got to empathize with that idea of just like, you need to get the energy back. Now, sometimes, and I'm just going to be all selfish about this, you're that person and then people are hitting you up a lot because you happen to have information that resonates with them. And by the way, I'm not saying don't do this when I keep going because <laughs> it means a lot and it's very good and encouraging. But a lot of people end up hitting you up asking for advice. And Chris has like a really great way of breaking this down that I won't be able to as eloquently state it, how to do this in a way that I think will be most effective. But a lot of the time, people reach out with these broad questions that essentially say to me, and this is what it means to me, hey, Jared, I noticed that you've got good ideas. I noticed they're working. Basically, dissect what I am trying to say to you, figure it out for me, give me feedback, and teach me how to do it awesome. And, and this, because you open and ask these super open-ended broad questions that basically require me to go into critical thinking about you and a situation I've never connected with. And while I love doing that, I already have to do that, get to do that with 30 plus people in my own personal circle that is not even my family every single day. So Chris, <laughs> what advice do you have for people outside? Period. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to second what you said in that it's super energizing to hear everyone's you know, if you send a message, a DM, whatever, we love that stuff. It's, it's super energizing. And here are some tips that you can use, not just with us specifically, but anybody that you want to reach out to who you think might be a busy, a busy person. Yep. So the template that I love the most, which is totally not mine, it, 
is the Tim Ferriss cold email template. I came across it through Alex Benayan's book, The Third Door, is a, is a really, really good place to start. And it works like this. It's just four lines. The first line is, look, I'm going to pretend like I'm reaching out to Jared. Okay, man, reach out. Let's reach out to Jared. It's like, hey, Jared, I know you're really busy and you probably get a lot of emails. So this is only going to get 60 seconds of your time, period. That's the first paragraph. And what you're doing there is you're acknowledging that you understand or can relate to how this person's life is. Like, if someone has something of value and they offer it a lot, they probably get a lot of inquiries for people who want to know what they want to know. And that's that's rad, but you're taking a little bit of the pressure off to be like, hey, I know you get this all the time. I understand that you're busy. I'm not blind to that fact. And also, you're putting a timestamp on it. This is only going to take 60 seconds to read, which tells me that, okay, like if you start digging into this thing, worst case scenario, I lose a minute, and that's not that bad. The second paragraph is one to two sentences of you establishing some sort of credibility in the field that you're in. So you're not just a weekend warrior random. So I might be, Jared, I know you're really busy and probably get a lot of emails. This only takes 60 seconds to read. I own a small coffee roasting company in Wisconsin. We've been roasting coffee for three years and have a cafe. So that immediately signals to Jared that He's talking to someone who's serious about their craft. I'm not saying you have to own a company, but has some sort of experience. It's not just casually dabbling, but just one or two lines, max. One yeah, or two sentences, max. It could be that you've been studying something really in depth on the side. Like, that counts as well. Like, drop a nugget of, like, I did this and this. I need help with whatever. Go on. Yeah, you know? totally. Like, no, just that, to get that's... somebody who's, like, a, a barista who, yeah, is never, isn't officially a pro at anything yet, quote unquote. It shows that you're willing to take some sense of ownership yes, over it. Yes, exactly. So that's, that's the second sentence. The third, or the third paragraph is, this is one of the biggest keys, one of the biggest keys is your very specific question. And the key here is to keep it specific and something that could be answered in one or two lines by Jared. So I might ask Jared, we're getting our wholesale program going. We're having a hard time finding clientele and building the brand. What's one piece of advice or one thing that you did that really helped to build Cat and Cloud's wholesale? Mm -hmm. And right there, he doesn't have to go search through this whole thing. The opposite of that question, just to clarify, would be like, hey, I really like what you're doing. I want to pick your brain about wholesale. Or tell me how you guys do wholesale. It's this right. huge open-ended question that forces him, like he was saying, to dig into his stores of information, do a ton of work to, to craft this response. Because he doesn't know what your specific pain point is. But if you're telling him my specific pain point is I have this little thing about marketing and getting the word out and asking for just one thing that you did, it's a lot easier for him to fire off an answer. So not only does it take the pressure off of Jared or whoever you're emailing, it increases the likelihood that he's actually going to respond because you're making it easier for him. Yep. That the, is great advice. The last piece of the email, the fourth piece is, and again, this is, this is another, another part of the clincher. Oh man, I just I just blacked out or whatever. I, full he, blackout. It's okay, you guys. <laughs> He's back. I was reading street signs. We're driving on the road. Street signs. Um, it's saying again. I know you're busy, so I totally understand if you can't respond. Even a one or two line response would totally make my day. Right. And again, that's showing that you understand the person's position and also taking the pressure off of them because, I for me personally. I can't speak for everybody, but I'm the kind of person who wants to make a lot of other people happy. Samesies. And I'll get into these situations where people reach out for stuff, where I want to give them a little bit, but I always feel like I'm not giving enough. Mm -hmm. And I feel a little bit guilty about that, which is a problem that I need to get over. But if someone says, even a one or two line response would completely make my day, it takes a lot of the pressure off to where yeah. we can just fire off something that's quick, easy, and helpful, and help that person out. Yeah, no doubt. So if We'll put a link down below. It's the Tim Ferriss cold email template. But I, I think the keys are 
acknowledging the person's position, asking a very specific question, and showing understanding, like, totally get it if you can't write back. Even just this one or two line thing would make my day. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you're going in asking these broad scope questions, you're kind of setting yourself up to fail. Yeah, and so that, that just kind of translates into, first of all, think about that, do it. But it also just goes into just asking questions in general. What kind of question are you even trying to ask? And just sitting with sitting a little bit longer. Like one of the things that keeps is kind of been a trend in everything over the last few months is like slowing down, meaning it's sometimes it's slowing down to answer. Sometimes it's slowing down to see if you actually need to ask a question at all. Sometimes it's like, can I Google this? Or am I just like the first person that pops into my mind, I'm going to fire off a question to, which is something that all of us who work with other people are going to deal with. Like somebody might just walk up to you and be like, hey, what's this, that, and the other? How do I do? And it's like something that they already for sure know. Sometimes people do this without even knowing because a lot of your world is subconscious. It's sad but true, but if you have programmed yourself to be a question asker and of of like everything, you might be doing this without even thinking about a solution at all first. And so it's really important for both, both ends of this party, the question asker and the question askee, ASCII. That's cool, dude. I want to say ASCII all the time. I'm wearing an ASCOT with my ASCII to think about what you're trying to ask. So yeah, specific, really awesome. But even if you're the person who's getting uh, asked questions, you could always like wait to respond or say something like, well, that's interesting. Who else have you asked about this? Or what makes you want to ask me? Or, you know, like, if I can't help you with all of this, what part of this would be the most helpful for you? Just some of these questions that make whoever's asking you get a little more specific to what they even mean to be asking. And what's funny is if you occasionally, if you ask enough of these questions, they actually might be like, you know what? I actually don't need you to do anything (laughs) (laughs) because it's harder for them to answer their own questions than to actually like go, or it's, it's easier for them to go figure it out than to actually answer the questions and like s- essentially say to you, like, I actually didn't think this through at all. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of almost forcing them through the process of discovery that way. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost, it's I guess the idea of like being able to say no without saying no sometimes. It's asking them all the right questions. And oftentimes if you're able to ask questions back, they end up getting to the answer that they had in their head already. And essentially you're confirming that, which is a whole other thing that's coaching, but being able to ask questions on both ends is really, really smart. And if you want to ask somebody a question, yeah, please, 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 please get to the heart of what the challenge for you is and ask that question. Don't ask something so broad that there could be 25 answers off the top of the other person's head. It's almost like they could coaching habit themselves before they make and ask. You could if you decided you wanted to like be that kind of disciplined human being and lean into those things. Yeah. What's sure. the real challenge here for me? <laughs> right. And until you know that, until you actually know that for you, you can't ask a clear question at all. And there might be more than one challenge. That's okay. What you need to be able to do is like, what's the real challenge for me here? Cool. Maybe there's four things. Just ask the most prevalent one that's going to get you the farthest, the easiest first. That's, the rest might happen on its own. That's freaking knowledge. Thanks, man. Super good knowledge. It's not all mine, but we are learning. And guess what? If you keep learning, you get a lot of knowledge from people. I love that you said it's not all yours because I don't think it needs to be all yours or anybody's. I, I, there's like such a, such a place for being a conduit of ideas or... I don't know, like a little idea shuttle that kind of shuttles ideas back and forth. And right. you can have a great idea or implement a great idea that's not yours and it still feel really good about it. I mean, ultimately, there's very little original idea. Is that, I don't even know how to say it. There's very little opportunity to have a, a completely original idea in the world these days. It's almost always been touched in some way. Chris and I just listened to a podcast. There's always somebody who's attempted it in some way before you. You might be able to put your spin on it, but if you are searching with your heart and soul and mind to make an idea that's only yours and and it's like you hang your hat more so on trying to be the individual and create only your idea, it's going to be so much harder than to just make an application of an amazing idea 
your version of it. And there's nothing wrong with making it your idea of it. That's why all these leadership books are out here. James Altucher talks a lot about idea six. Ah. And he... One Making of his, hybrids. One of, yeah, one of the exercises that he does is write down 10 new ideas every day. Right. They don't have to be original. They're just things that he's thinking of. Mm-hmm. Writes them down. Literal, just an just, idea that's in my head. Just 10 ideas. It, yeah. it doesn't have to be an idea for a business. It can, it can, be, an, it can be an idea for a business, but it can be an, just a random idea. Sure. And... He, he agrees with the, what you just said, that there's very little, you know, there's, there's not a lot of stuff that's original out there, but the best ideas will come from two of these seemingly simple ideas having what he calls idea sex with one another. Huge fan of that idea. And For, yeah, oh gosh, he explains it much more eloquently than I can, and he breaks down three or four examples of, of things that people use on the day-to-day that are just stupidly simple, like ridiculous, just idea sex ideas that are like, oh, okay, cool. Twitter is like a message board with some outdated coding protocol. It's, there's nothing new about Twitter when it came out. It's two things they've got together to have idea sex and came out. But see, what you just said there before, like you, you didn't say butcher, but essentially you, you said you thrashed saying what he said well. And it's like, yeah, because he's got more experience and you're learning from a dude. Like, that is exactly the point. If you're unwilling or uninterested in seeking knowledge from people who have more life experience than you, you're seriously failing yourself in so many different ways. You don't have to think the person's the smartest in the world, but guess what? They know more than you because they've been alive longer than you. And that... bare minimum is something. I'll do you one fucking better than that. Do me one better there, George. Evan Carmichael's got a YouTube channel where he breaks down things that he learns from certain people. Now, some of these people are really controversial and are not necessarily people who you would want to model their life. But in a podcast I was listening to with him, he uses Kanye as an example. He's like, I don't want to be like Kanye. I do not want to have Kanye's life. But if you're sitting here telling me so proudly that you have not one thing that you can learn from Kanye West, you're fucking bullshitting yourself. Right. There are some things that he does amazingly, some things that he are, he is like a master of, and that's his whole thing, is to break down people, like these learning lessons from these big personalities and see, cool, maybe I don't want to be like them, but what can I borrow from them? Yes. <clears throat> that, to me, is modern ingenuity. And that is a really badass art because we're in a place where there's so much technology there's so much information out there that first of all you do have to figure out a little bit who you want to be and that journey can be long but if you're open you can glean the best of the best from all the people you look up to the most and then find the most authentic way to re-deliver what somebody amazing and like world whatever impacting is done. And that to me is, it's one of the most inspiring things for me. Cause I'm like, I'm actually fine. Like being an individual to me is actually being able to be myself, which is also a truth in you share traits with all these people who are geniuses in their own way. And yeah, that genius might just be my eighth grade teacher. You share these traits with them and you have to learn how to foster them and bloom and become them in the way you're supposed to be them, not in the way that they were them. And if you are able to do that, you get to be so much more confident in yourself. That's a hard journey, it's a long journey, but the minute that you think that so-and-so did it, so I have to do it completely different, is actually the wrong mindset. It's so-and-so did it, how can I do it in the way that makes the most sense for me? Because I actually really like what they did. Yeah, it's distilling the idea and not copying the thing verbatim. Yes. Or it's, not just avoiding the thing because you don't want to be it. It's, right. it's applying concepts. It's, it's honestly what we talked about in the episode with Alex to where there's no, you know, I can't give you the prescription for success in that if we take Alex's episode and talk about from how he developed this grocery program and then that ended up leading him to this wholesale partner program director position, that that's not a story about 
a wholesale partner program director. That's a story about how to overcome challenges, how to apply things that he's learned in other industries and make them work for him in the coffee industry. Yeah. Take those smarts that he has and put them to use in a different place. And mm-hmm. that that is almost like a different version of idea sex that can that can just he it's idea baby at that point. It's idea baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's idea baby. This is entitled idea baby. That's <laughs> it's true. And then maybe it's idea metamorphosis sounds cooler. No, nah, it's idea baby, dude. Idea baby. Idea sex gives you an idea baby. That's true, dude. And then you gotta foster that baby. But the the brilliant thing is, is if you can draw from all these places, develop and distill these ideas and create something that works uniquely for you. You have a place where no one else can touch you. And no one else is going to out Jared Truby, Jared Truby. They can copy you. They can do exactly what you do. But it's just not going to work for them. There can only be one. There can, it's a Highlander shit. Because it's not about the what. It's about the why and the knowledge that came before that, how you apply those things. And, and, and it's, it's the thing that makes you feel the most comfortable. Like when... In the third door, which is close to my mind because I read it twice already, Alex asked Larry King, and he he wants some interviewing advice from Larry King. And the advice Larry King gave him was, the biggest mistake that most new interviewers do is they copy the style of an interviewer that they like. So people Uh will try to be like him. People will try to be like Barbara Walters. People will try to be like David Letterman. And that is a big mistake because the reason those people have the styles that they do is because that style makes them the most comfortable during the interview. And right. that, in turn, makes the person who's being interviewed feel really comfortable and want to open up. Yes. So let me just be clear. The world does not teach you to be yourself. The world teaches you to copy because they can sell you on copying a lot easier than they can sell you on being yourself. Which means that it becomes infinitely, infinite's insane, okay. It's, it becomes hard, very hard to follow your true path to becoming who you should be. And what makes that even more hard is that you have to kind of critically think about how you take somebody's idea that is theirs first, or somebody's idea that's first, that's working really well, and you have to find a way to make it your own. And that is truly, truly hard work. And occasionally you'll find yourself feeling like you are copying somebody. But Chris, you're right. There can only be one you. And even, 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 we talked about this when we were going off on, uh, on Stay Dialed Roasters in Australia. You'll start doing it and you'll know because it won't work. It won't feel good. You'll have a bad feeling in your stomach that like... Ugh! I'm saying all this stuff, and I'm. It's just hard. It's a lot harder. But when you do it, and you find a way to implement it in the way that it means something to you and is valuable and true, it just starts happening. The third doors start opening, Chris. Okay, it's not the third door, because, fair, but it's true. And it's not that it's it's partially that you won't feel good about it, and then the other part of it is that people aren't going to respond to it. They because will push back on in you in some way, shape, or form. People will be able to sense that it's not authentic. That it authentic that it's not the truest version of you right right and that's a big deal and that will be hard but pay attention to those moments when you're doing something that on paper adds up to an a plus plus hit it out of the park 1000 batting percentage and it's feeling all wrong that's when you know and uh I guess we're here as somebody who's older than some of the people listening to this podcast. <laughs> we're claiming age right now. We're claiming. Jared's all, we're older than you. We're older than a good amount of y'all. And we're here to tell you not to wait and wait and wait. To ask questions, first of all, to lean into some form of mentorship. That, and when I say mentor, that's also a really hard word to hear for people because it means something different to everybody. Sometimes a mentor isn't around all the time. They're not like a coach in the basketball court that's there every day like leading you. Sometimes that's just somebody who you can ask and be like, yo, when I do this, does it like feel right? Does it feel good? Does it, you know, like reach out to somebody who's just able to give you their perspective on something that you might feel like is or isn't working and and just get another perspective on it. And you can kind of like, you can kind of like work towards that a little bit. You can kind of hear in real time 
what's being effective, what's impacting those around you, and what's not. And that's nice. That's good. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you make the age call in a way not to say that we might be older than you, so we know more than you. But for me, it's like, don't wait because I waited too long to explore some of these things. That's I, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, for yeah, a lot of for there. a lot of our lives, we felt that pressure to be either what our parents thought we should be, what society thought we should be, take the traditional path, or do this, that, and the other because you have these traits. I.e., yes. I'm the smart kid in school, and I like to draw, so you're going to be an architect. Right. It's like, yep, it is exactly that. And I waited a long time to explore what my real self is, and I feel like I'm just starting to do it right now, honestly. Same. And what's really going to make me happy, and I'm just like, wow, why didn't I do this a decade ago? Yeah. I'm right there with you. That process of learning more and more who you are, what your version of, I'm using great work a lot because I'm reading a book called Great Work, but what your version of great work is, which is essentially like the best fit for you, where you're the most energized, but you're also able to be the most impactful. There's something that's really important about this. There's an element where people could probably say what you're saying is essentially be selfish and don't take care of those around you. That is not what we're saying. What I'm actually saying, what I believe, and you can correct, you can add your, your portion of this as well, Chris, is what I'm saying is if you can get to the place where you are able to be your best self as a whatever, in business, in life, and so on and so forth, that you're actually able to provide more opportunity, more positivity, more everything good to everybody who you come in contact with. And yeah, the age thing, I'm talking about it specifically because I'm at whatever, the 36 mark. And I could have been working on this when I was at the 26 mark. And I'm encouraging you all to do so. And I'm encouraging you all to get there so that everybody around you can actually be better because that is a form of leadership that is lost very lost. I wrote a passage in my journal that is almost that verbatim. Oh, cool. It breaks down some of those things. And then it goes, if this sounds selfish to you, yeah, you're motherfucking right. It is because every act of selflessness starts with an act of selfishness. Yeah. Cause there, there's few things in life that are as rewarding as giving back to other people, but you, almost nothing. But you can't give back to other people if you're not in the place to do it. Right. You, if you're not happy, if, if you're not operating at your peak, you're not going to be there for other people. You see this shit all over. For you as a father, if you don't take the time to do what you need to center yourself, to get your mind right, you're not there for your kids. It's, yeah, it's And rough. is that selfish? Not really. Not yeah. in the sense that most people think it. It's okay to explore what's right for you and to put yourself first so that you can be the best for your family, be the best for your employees, be the best for the people around you. Maybe you can be that mentor. Mm -hmm. You can't be that mentor if you're a fucking train wreck. Yep. And that's, that's it. If a lifeguard drowns, so was everybody else. It is a challenge. It is a juxtaposition. It is counterintuitive <laughs> at times especially if you're the kind of person who feels that your value is in helping others. But if you're helping others, quote unquote, all the time, never helping yourself, you're burnt out, you're dead, you're over it, and you're unhappy, the rest of your life, the closest parts of your life are the things that are crumbling down while you feel like you're helping everybody else. You're actually, you're just not. And then you're not even going to be helping other people for that long. That's what I'm because saying. Because once you burn out, it's all over. Yeah. The whole thing's toast and then everybody's trying to figure out how to help you and because you don't know how to help yourself you're really fucked because the people who care the most about you then they can't help you because you don't even know how to allow them to help you you can't do that until you know how to help yourself and there's something that's important there too which is you need to be able to allow people to help you and if you can't even tell them what you need you're very, very disconnected from yourself. And that's a very big problem. I have been there a lot. Yeah, and same. I'm saying that because it's very real. It's something that myself has gone through. It's something that my wife has gone through. You know, we did this whole homeless thing at the beginning. Chris had like a major hard life where he's basically homeless. <laughs> <laughs> he was hard, hard pressed for a good year or more. Charles was having a hard life. Like these things happen. And 
they happened at a time when both my wife and I didn't know how to help each other or ourselves. We felt like there was no ability for ourselves to help each other or ourselves because there was no money to do it. And we were wrong because there are other ways of helping yourself. But at the time, I was like, well, I can't pay for therapy. I can't pay for this. I can't get a vacation. I can't take a break. I can't go out. There's all these things that make you feel like you can't. And that's not true. And there's resources that I wish I had back then that her and I could have leaned into and really worked together. So essentially, there are a lot of resources. Maybe we could get you some little mini books. Maybe this isn't the place specifically for that. But I just want to tell you it's a real thing that we've both gone through in our own ways. And that's my little mini share on how it works with myself. I fucking feel that, dude. I fucking feel it. It's it's real. It's real. I don't even. I don't even fucking. No, have. I think we did great. Is I, don't even, I don't even wild. know if it's I have been, anything to add. It's a fifty-minute podcast for it's my 50 friends. Fifty-minute podcast. Amigos and relatives. You no. should have seen the one we tried to do last night. Oh my god, it was story. terrible. We'll, we'll release it as a bonus episode for sure. The only other thing I'll add to what you just said is that people can suffer from these things in ways that aren't outwardly insanely traumatic. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to lose your job or be homeless or have a business ripped out from under you to experience the negativity that comes along with not taking care of yourself and putting your needs first. You can be someone who has a decent paying job. You go to work every day. You have financial stability in all aspects of the world. You're decently privileged. But if you don't take that time to do what you need to do, you can still end up just as depressed. 100% which, true. Which I experienced in a different life before I had some of the really bad stuff happen to me. And it's a different feeling. It's just this feeling of emptiness and sadness when it doesn't seem like you should even be allowed to feel that way. Yes. A- yes. Anyway, I don't no, know. I think that's, that's, a, that's a good way to let the people know. I mean, I, I think there's nothing more to add to that. That was a lot of stuff. Let's just wrap it back around. Give a big applause to the four new owners of Cat and Cloud. Thank you so much for all the hard work you've done. Alex, Grace, Kristen, Tanner, let's go out and do what we just kind of summed up over this last 50 minutes. Let's go. Let's help our team learn to do this for themselves. Let's influence other businesses to put time and energy into their businesses to protect people from getting to these places in the ways they can. And uh, maybe we should just have a good time with some coffee stuff on the side, eh? Namaste. I'm going to stay right here too, man. Okay. Nama, bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family-owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround it's phenomenal if you've ever ordered a brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in you know how frustrating that is so being able to get the brewer next day like that is absolutely amazing shout out to you wilbur curtis their customer service is phenomenal and they just care they care about you they care about me and i care about them and that's why cat cloud podcast is brought to you by wilbur curtis Idea sex gives you an idea, baby. That's true, dude.